Now we're continuing on this morning with our, our walk, or sometimes our jog, and even occasionally our sprint through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, in keeping with that, um, I'm just going to invite David up here, and he's going to uh, read that part of the Gospel that my message is from this morning. Prophet without honour, Mark chapter 6. Jesus, Jesus left there and went into his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are the remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took off offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his home home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing from the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the town. And if any place will not, will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Thank you, David. Let's just pray before I begin. Lord, I thank you that we have come this morning to hear your word with an open mind, an open heart and a spirit engaged to receive. Let us pray that your word impacts us, not just intellectually, but spiritually and emotionally as well. We thank you, Lord, for your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Now, because you're all sitting down, and I feel a bit removed, I'm going to come a bit closer... So those of you who were worried that I might not be able to come and wake them up, rest assured, I am here. Who's excited about life at the moment? Who's really not excited about life? Don't put your hands up. But there are, life takes interesting turns. Mark in his gospel, up to this point, has been very strong on letting us know that no matter what life throws at us, Jesus is the Son of God. He's been hammering home the point, here we are, we're talking about the Messiah here. Jesus isn't just some guy that's wandering around. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has authority. And his gospel has actually pressed in everything he talks about. He's trying to get us to see that Jesus is actually above our, our way of thinking. He's above our way of acting. He's doing miraculous things. He's doing things which prove that he is the Son of God. And Mark has been carefully pointing these out, layering his arguments to... to so that we get to a point where we, where we look at Jesus and we, we say, yes, he's the son of... It's irrefutable. And yet, here we come to a, a part where 
One of the things that you notice about Mark is that he points out the fact that there are people who have seen incredible things that Jesus has done and refuse to believe. And so in this section of Mark's Gospels, Gospel, one of the main themes is, is the unbelief of people who came into contact with Jesus. And it's interesting because un, un, this isn't unbelief in people who have picked up the Bible and read a section of Scripture and said, well, I don't believe it. I'm not too sure. These are people who came into contact with Jesus, either got healed, saw healings, saw demons cast out, saw incredible miracles and still don't believe. They had every reason to trust Jesus and yet they failed to do so. You know what the funny thing is? Some of these people were his disciples. And so I want to talk and, and there's a lesson in this for us as well. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it actually says, Be careful. What are we supposed to be? Yeah. Careful. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving you, unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Did you know that your heart can turn you away from God? See, God takes unbelief seriously, and so should we. So let's look at two areas of unbelief that Mark is dealing with in, in this section of the gospel. The first is the unbelief of his acquaintances. Mark chapter 6 verse 3 says, Then they scoffed. Everybody scoff. <laughs> no, it's not cough. <laughs> but actually I did that because it doesn't sound like that. You should scoff at someone. It sounds, sounds like, what's that, what's that word for things that sound like they are? onomatopoeia who likes onomatopoeia that's why you call things bees because they make that noise not yeah never mind um they scoffed he's just a carpenter the son of mary and the brother of james joseph judas and simon and his sisters live right here among us it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him it's interesting that they were offended by what they saw. It's interesting, and I won't, I won't read it, but earlier it tells us that he came and he spoke in the synagogue. He was invited there because he was known as a teacher and the people who heard him were amazed. And the word amazed here isn't like, wow, isn't he wonderful? It's like, how the heck did he get all that knowledge and wisdom? This is somebody we know who's acting out of character for what we know. And it says they were offended by this. It's interesting that the people he knew were offended by the authority that he carried. Have you ever had this problem where you've spoken to people who know you or think they know you and suddenly because it's not what they think they know, they struggle with what you're saying? Getting an education could be like that. You can learn something that gives you insight that other people don't have. And yet, if they've known you as a child or they've known you before you, you had that experience, you travelled the world or you went to university or you studied with a guru in the Himalayan mountains or whatever you've done, because their picture of you doesn't match what you've become they actually get offended. 
We'll talk a little bit more about that later. The second thing he talks about here is the unbelief of his enemies. Now he carries this on a, a bit further into, further into to Mark 6. But it starts off with him sending out the disciples. And in verse 10 he says, Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their fate. Now, can you, can you imagine what the disciples are thinking at this point? They've come with him to Nazareth and they've seen that people have scoffed at him. They've become deeply offended and basically sent him on his way instead of giving him the homecoming that they thought he might get. I mean, when you go home, who, like, who likes the idea that home is a place where you're accepted, you're welcomed, there are people you know, you know it's got good memories of your childhood... And Jesus goes to Nazareth, Nat, home, uh, and they get offended because he is not what they expect. And so then they come away from that and Jesus says, well, I'm going to split you into pairs and send you out to see strangers to do what I've done. And they're thinking, but you've just, you've just been home and they've, they've absolutely, if you'll pardon the expression, crucified you. And you're, now you're telling us we've got to go out and do the same thing. How, how do you think their faith is? You know, Jesus has, in their eyes, failed at something and then said, oh, no, no worries. How about you guys give it a shot? And they're like, hang on, hang on. No, 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 this, this isn't going isn't to work. You, you're sending us out to, to do what you couldn't do in, in Nazareth. And Jesus is teaching them an important lesson here because they would have been, and if it had been us, who would have been nervous? Who would have been visiting the potty? I mean, this is, this is, this is a, a situation which could have been life-threatening to them. They didn't know who they were facing and they knew that some people were going to be their enemies. And yet Jesus gave them advice on how to cope with those people. But he sent them out. And it's interesting, if you're going on a trip and some people are more like this than others, and I might mention my wife here, we've been to Sydney for a conference and we have a suitcase and there are f sort of five days of conference and so really all you need if, if you're if you're really um if you're a woman anyway guys often wear the same shirt two days in a row i know that's deemed unacceptable by some people but it happens um and therefore you really only need five changes of clothing don't you because it's five days yeah um, but then, of course, and okay. Uh, um, but then again, people ask the question: well, What if it rains? What if it's hot? Some of the shirts I've got in here or tops would be too cool if it, if it got wet. So you've got to pack an, another set. You end up with probably about fifteen changes, just in case the weather does this. And, and then, of course, you can't wear the same shoes with any of these outfits. And so. For a five-day trip, you, you go prepared for anything. And funnily enough, the disciples, <laughs> the disciples are very like that. But, but Jesus tells them that, and I've, I've jumped ahead of myself, it doesn't matter. Mark 6 verse 8 says, He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. 
he said they're allowed to have sandals. <laughs> what a concession, but no change of clothes. Now you see, I can always already see Vicky saying, well, if you're going on this trip, I'm not coming with you. But he said we have to go in pairs. Why do you think he did that? I mean, were, were they getting a bit weak? Is it, was he worried that they wouldn't be able to, you know, if they had too much baggage, you'd, you'll have sore feet by the end of the trip? Or, or you know, the, what if the suitcase wheels fall off? Because it wasn't a smooth road, apparently, where they were going. He, he wanted to teach them something. Because back in Nazareth, what had they said? Uh, Mark 6, verse 2, in the second half, it says, They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? What does that tell you about these people? They knew he had wisdom, they knew he had power, and they had witnessed the miracles. And then uh, their problem was, where did he get it? And that was what Jesus wanted to teach the disciples. He sent them out with one thing. Did, did it, does it say that he gave them a booklet of instructions? Did he say, give them a book, How to Convert Your Neighbor? How to Lead People to Jesus? He didn't. He said, it says he gave them authority. Say that word, authority. Guess what he's given you? Authority. Has he given you anything else? Sometimes. But he doesn't promise that, does he? The differences in our faith, the differences in what we expect, the difference in what, belie- what we believe often leads to Christians getting different things from God. Have you noticed that? We're not all the same. Everybody say hallelujah. <laughs> so Jesus wanted them to actually go out and rest in the authority that he'd given them. And to make sure they rested in that authority, he didn't give them anything else to rest on. He didn't give them the security of the, the first aid kit and the second walking stick and the, the uh, stun gun in case they were attacked and the, the second pair of shoes in case they threw a sandal. Um, none of these things were available to them because Jesus wanted them to rest in that authority. You see, we're always going to come across unbelief. It's going to be in our friends or our acquaintances or our enemies. And it's interesting that we can, we can give offence. I can be offensive to people. I've heard that that is actually true in some cases. But it's, it's interesting that if it's in the reverse and people offend us, people say offensive things. Now all you have to do is turn on the television. And people are saying offensive things about people who have a faith which perhaps has tenets that run against the current climate of our economy, of our social structure, of all sorts of different things. And they can say offen- offensive things. In fact, if we want to take different religions, people say offensive things every day about our God. The name of Jesus Christ is woven into our language in a reasonably derogatory way. A way that if other deities and even the prophets of other deities, if they were, worn, were wormed into our language the same way, uh, our population would decrease quite suddenly. And yet, those things are offensive. People talk about our beliefs in an offensive manner. 
Um, there are social media things which are uh, put up intentionally to offend Christians. And do you realise that none of that actually has any impact whatsoever unless you choose to take offence? Giving offence is easy and harmless. Because who, do you know you're never going to please everybody? I just want to let you know, and not everybody is going to like you. I know that this is hard for some of you to take. I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard being a preacher and knowing that not everybody likes you. Because I think everybody should like my sermons. Everybody should, get, everybody should have their life changed by what God's telling me to preach. But it doesn't always happen. And some people come up and say, didn't get it didn't like it and I can choose to take offence but punching people is not considered good <laughs> and some of those people are my friends and I'm not offended because I've actually asked them to, you know, to give me honest feedback about things but it's when we take offence it says here that back in um, Matthew, uh, Mark not in Matthew Mark 6.3, it says, they were deeply offended because they'd taken on board an offence. They'd seen something they didn't like and they'd chosen to negate the wisdom they saw, negate the power they saw and negate the miracles they saw by being offended. And the thing is that the secret for us is like Jesus sends out the disciples. He strips back everything they've got and says, you're going to go out and you're going to rely on me. And I'm going to give you the one and the only thing you need. And that is the authority that my Father has given me. And that's actually what we're called to do. Like the story of Lot and Abram. Abram went out and he gave Lot a choice and walked out recognizing that he was relying on God. He wasn't offended by what Lot had done. Lot had stolen the good bit. He'd, he'd, you know, it's like when you cut a piece of cake and say, here, I'll cut, you choose. And they always choose the big half. My father always used to ask me, did I understand why that was funny? <laughs> because, of course, if it's in half, there is no big half because the two halves are equal. But have you ever tried to cut a piece of cake in half? There is always a big half. <laughs> and the, and the, especially as a child, the thing was that you wanted to get it as close as possible because you knew, you absolutely knew that your sister or your brother was going to take the big half. <laughs> and so it was often best, and often, you know, it was like, will you be Jesus? You cut it. That way you knew that you, you were going to get the benefit of their mistake. But it's, it's not what people do. It's not how the world treats you. It's who you believe the authority for your life is in. You see, Jesus didn't actually fail in Nazareth because it wasn't about Jesus. The people there recognized that he had power, wisdom, and performed miracles. But it was about their unbelief. It's about the unbelief of the people we're reaching, whether they be friend, acquaintance, or enemy. It doesn't actually affect the authority that we've been given. But Jesus is very clear. When you're met with unbelief... Don't let it take root in your heart. Shake off the dust. 
and leave those people to their fate. Strangely enough, we are not called to save the world. We're called to preach the gospel. And it sounds callous. We're called to preach the gospel. If we were rejected, it's like, okay, I'm moving on. We think, but oh, but Jesus had a heart for the Lord. That's Jesus' problem. We're actually called to do the things that we can do and let God do the things that he can do. He is the one who softens hearts. He is the one who moves behind the scenes and changes people's attitudes. We are the messengers. And we have to rest in the authority that God has given us. When things don't work, when things don't go our way, it's often through unbelief. But if we take on board that unbelief, we are undermining the authority that we've given. It's nobody else's fault. It's nobody else's problem. It's ours. Because guess what? We have taken offence. My advice to you this morning is let other people take offence. They can take as much as they like, but make sure that we are people who are not easily offended. Offence should be the last thing we take. Rights are the last thing we should actually stand up for. The whole premise of our Christian faith is that Jesus gave up his rights on the cross. They had no right to crucify him. He had done no wrong. He was the son of God. Who has the right to crucify God? And yet he laid down his life. He laid down every right he had and let them kill him so that we could have eternal life. Not so that we could have all the rights that we want. The only right we need to have is to be in right standing with God. And to do that, we need to recognize that we have been given an authority to do what the disciples did, to heal, to cast out demons, to speak into people's lives. And the unbelief we face is the problem of those people. Now, it doesn't mean we give up on people. It doesn't mean we get angry with people and say, it's your fault, you're the unbeliever, hate you. I'm not going to be offended by you. Go away. It's not a, we've got to be careful that we understand what Jesus has given us. Jesus has given us self-assurance so that the unbelief of the world bounces off. We can still be kind to people. We're still called to actually love people who are against us. We're still called to interact with those people. But we're not called to be affected by the authority that they think they wield. The authority that we have is in Jesus Christ. Can you all stand with me? The direction of our life, I was going to say, is often determined by who we give authority. But I want to change that. It's always determined by who we give authority to in our life. When the disciples realized that they didn't need anything else but the authority that Jesus had given them, it says they went out, they cast out demons, they healed people and they anointed them with olive oil. They recognized that authority, they acted in that authority and guess what? They had the power and the miracles and the wisdom that Jesus had and it changed people's lives. I want to ask you a question here this morning. 
Who have you given authority to in your life? I mean, Jesus makes things very simple. He says, if you're with me and you're for me, then nobody else has your allegiance. If you're with somebody else, you're against Jesus. We think, oh, that's a bit mean. You mean I can't be with the Holden Car Club? Yes, you can. But not if your allegiance to them is above your allegiance to Jesus. And so to actually live a full Christian life, we have to make a decision and say, okay, I believe the authority in my life comes from Jesus Christ and no one else. Any other authority in this world is below that authority. And Jesus doesn't actually insist on that. He says, it's your choice. You have the choice to say, okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus or I'm going to be a follower of someone else. We can't sit on the fence and say, some days I'm a follower of Jesus and other days I'm a follower of the government or my work or my hobbies or my own individual preferences. We're actually called to walk with Jesus 24-7. And to do that, we actually just have to take a shift in our thinking, a shift in our actions and a, a shift in our spirit and make a statement before God where we say, Lord, I am with you. I am going to follow you the rest of the days of my life. And that's where we start our journey. And if you haven't said that this morning, if you're standing here and you're thinking, well, I want the power and the, the, the miracles to happen in my life. I want to have the authority of Jesus so that I can be a part of changing people's lives. But you have never actually made that commitment and said, Lord, I'm giving you the authority in my life. I'm going to follow you and no one else then I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Can I ask everybody just to bow their heads, close their eyes for a moment? If you are here and you have never given Jesus the authority in your life before and you want to start on that journey, giving him that authority and that place in your life, in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'd love to pray with you to ask Jesus into your life for that authority. If you've done it before but you recognize that you have actually put other people, other gods, other organizations, other priorities in your life above the name of Jesus. You might call yourself a Christian, but you recognize that Jesus has slipped to number two or possibly down to number 10. And you know that you need to restore him to that number one place of authority in your life. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as well at the same time. And if you just want assurance... that your faith is going to take you to heaven because of that belief. Because you'd like to be in heaven, but you're not sure of whether you're good enough, whether you've done the right things. Let me assure you that the only way is to actually be putting Jesus number one in your life. So if you feel that you fit any one of those three categories, while everybody's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed, I want you to put your hand up right now so that I can see it. And I would love to pray a prayer. Thank you, I see that hand. Anybody else? I'd love to pray with you. To actually put Jesus in that place of authority. To see authority flow from the King through you into your life and into the lives of others. Anybody else who wants to make that step? Pray that prayer. 
Okay, can I get you to open your eyes, face me. And I want us to pray that prayer together this morning. Are you ready? Can I, actually, can I ask you to be brave and come out the front? Bring a friend. Bring two friends. Doesn't matter. No worries. So, can you, everybody, this includes you. Good. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I turn away from any other authority that I have placed in my life above you. I proclaim. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, my Lord, my, Lord, my Saviour, my, my, my Provider, number one, number one in my life. In my life. I, turn I turn away from the devil and all his plans, all his plans. And, I and I turn towards the glory of God. The glory of God. Jesus, I am yours, Jesus, I am yours. Now, now and forever. And forever. Amen. 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 Hey, well done. All of you. Thank you, guys.